Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Building Sustainability Podcast. We are exploring the wide world of sustainability in the built environment by talking to wonderful people who are doing excellent things. Whether you want to learn about natural materials and navigating your own self-build, or just want to know that better alternatives are out there, this is the podcast for you. (laughs) That's a bit cheesy, isn't it? (laughs) Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 94. Uh, This is the first episode of 2023, Welcome. Happy New Year. I hope you are well and that this new year is treating you with all the love and respect that you deserve. I am incredibly pleased to be bringing you this podcast from my house. I have now lived in this house for one whole year. I moved in on January 1st, 2022 into a dusty, dirty building site. And I'm pleased to say that it is now a lot more comfortable. So 2022, 2022 in stats, this podcast received 80,000 downloads, bringing the grand total to 190,000 downloads. At the beginning of 2022, I did say I was hoping to make it to 200,000. We fell just short, but uh, considering that I had three months off, uh, I think we did pretty good, didn't we? So last year's top episodes, uh, Siggy Coco, her two episodes uh, were the most popular of the year. In fact, they're very nearly the most popular of all time. Uh, Behind Siggy was Ben Kerslake's chat on insulation. And behind that, Ez, with the episode, does adding mass make it more energy efficient? All brilliant episodes. I'm so pleased that they've been listened to so much. So a big thank you to all of the guests from 2022. You are all incredible people. And to all of you, the listeners, thank you. Other people that should get New Year's thanks include all of the patrons. 
that is 101 people who financially support this podcast and make it possible. You pay my wages. So yes, thank you. Thank you so much. We've got one new podcast supporter, and that is Shay Grimble. Uh, going in at the £5 level, so getting a hand-carved wooden spoon. And Amy Charles, who has increased her amount uh, to also get a spoon. So thank you, Amy, and thank you, Shea Grimble. That's so fun to say. So now, as a patron-only bonus, uh, I uploaded a 20-minute tour of my tiny house and it shows a little bit of the work i've been doing on the estate i live on uh and you get to hear me waffle on about stuff turn lights on and off uh wonder about my house and point at stuff uh and try to get the camera to focus it's sort of like a really rubbish mtv cribs um so head on over to patreon.com forward slash building sustainability if you want to support the podcast and see that video if you're not already convinced Here's a little bit of feedback from Amy Charles. Your house is beautiful. And so is the valley. My goodness, it sounded good on the podcast, but I had no idea. Your desk slash bookshelf reminds me of an illustration from a late friend's book. And there's a link to just a stunning picture. I'm very, very flattered that uh, my little bookcase desk area reminded you of this it is a joyful image i will put a link to that in the show notes so you can check out the illustration too okay i think that is enough of my chat time to introduce the podcast so this week's guest is shannon berry some of you might already know shannon berry from the green woodworking world the coppicing world or maybe you've just seen her on make it up market the uh, BBC One show, where she has been turning her craft into a business. Little pun there. Either way, I'm super pleased to have Shannon on the uh, the podcast. Uh, I was very pleased to meet Shannon at uh, the Northern Bowl gathering up in County Durham last year. We got on like a house on fire. So this conversation will tend to be maybe a bit chatty. We laugh quite a lot. There is also... A couple of swears of the cow feces variety. Uh, I don't know how that ranks in the swear level. I'm not going to put this episode in explicit for that. So consider yourself warned about the male cow feces exclamation. Uh, that is coming. There's two of them, in fact, uh, in quick succession. Uh, the rest is mostly laughter. Okay, uh, that's far too much nonsense for me. Enjoy, Shannon. with Matty Whitaker yeah and I found him amazing amazing human being he is one of the greatest eggs Mm -hmm. and I found him while I was doing a time exchange to pay for my permaculture design course in his woodland turning a bowl and I was in awe I just knew that I needed to give it a go so I asked him while I was staying there, like, could you teach me? I obviously am doing a time exchange to pay for my permaculture course. Don't have a huge amount of money, um, but I'd really love to learn. Mm. And so he invited me to chat 
one lunchtime while I was on his land and ended up having six month exchange based learning from four months of polave where I went to his outdoor workshop in his woodland uh, pretty much every Monday. Wow. And then I went back for another couple of months to do some earth rendering with him as my exchange to pay for the course. Really? Well, that sounds like double win for you. Honestly, like (laughs) it's one of those moments where I almost wish I had it now and I would appreciate it so much. Not that I didn't appreciate it. Like I was still very much in a stage where I was so exploratory. Every opportunity was something that I'm going to throw myself at. And for, yeah, just for the whole six months, I was just running around like headless chicken doing so many different things that if I had have maybe focused on this a bit more, um, yeah, the appreciation might have been double. Yeah. But then, I mean, there's so many other things out there to do. And That's you, the thing. You wouldn't be the person you are today if you hadn't have scooped in all of the, the knowledge and experience. Exactly. So it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely, yeah. That whole narrative and that whole story of where I've come to, it all lines up with so much synchronicity that I definitely have to keep reminding myself to just enjoy the process. Yeah. <laughs> so um, so what was it uh, like you you stumbled on Matty in his woodland workshop, turning a bowl on mm-hmm. a pole lathe? Like what yeah. what was it? What was your first thoughts? Like what did? What was it that appealed to you? Firstly, the, the setting. So if you can imagine, you're in this broadleaf deciduous woodland and there's a clearing and there's this small sound that you can hear from a distance of ch-ch-ch-ch. You go into this clearing that's full of beautiful winter sun and there's a man there with this wooden apparatus turning a ball (laughs) it was just magic it was just like this little sprinkling of stardust was all around and I was just in absolute awe of the setting first of all the sound was delicious whatever he was making just completely appealed to any little woodworker wanting to come out of my existence and yeah I guess it was mainly just the magic of it all and the fact that he was doing craft in the woodland, I don't know if I've said that enough. The location <laughs> was definitely um, definitely the most appealing to me. What I'd seen of joinery and carpentry and woodwork up until then is mainly through my grandfather and my dad. So my dad is a builder, a uh, carpenter by trade, and learned from my grandfather, and they work in Exmoor. We worked in Exmoor together, um, doing everything from sash windows. Um, and my granddad had us, had, has, he's passed away. So speaking about his work in past tense isn't something that I'm used to. Um, and the workshop that they worked in, like I would be down there every chance that I could. And it would just be sawdust and machinery and um smelling amazing of course but yeah so for someone who's super super sensitive to sound it was really challenging to be in there longer than like 10-15 minutes especially if they had like a bandsaw going or something else Mm -hmm. if they were chiseling and carving I'd be standing there with a cup of tea talking to them all day so 
I guess the sound as well, something that I alluded to in the is that being drawn to that kind of buttery sound of a lathe rather than the whir of an engine. Mm. It's like amazing. There's something about the um, the rhythm to it as well that's mm. sort of like, uh, I don't know, like synthesized electronic beats are very rhythmical and they, they capture something in you. Uh, yeah, there's a very distinct rhythm to to a pole lathe just... I don't know. I can't quite find the words to describe how great it is. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) Everyone just needs to come and have a go and then we don't need to. But at the same time, I completely understand what you're saying in terms of that methodic, rhythmical, meditative space that you get into. Because it also, for me, the way that I've learned to practice is with my breath. And that's the basis of most meditation, right, Mm. is movement in rhythm with your breath and your cycles. And for me, it's such a space that I just have complete peace of mind. My whole world just comes into this tiny little point where the hook meets the wood and I can breathe. And it's just like, whoa, something else. (laughs) That's quite magical as well, because, I mean, for anyone that's never turned a bowl, there is a kind of like 10 degrees of rotation you've got in the hook between cutting really, really nice and digging in and being an absolute horrid monster. Uh, So for you to find your like comfortable, relaxed place in a space where you've got such little sort of room for, for error... That's an interesting thing. That is. I've not thought about it that way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's scratching somewhere in my brain. That's like, yeah, that's really cool Um, to think about. It's such a concept Um, that that's where my happy place is. This tiny little. And that's exactly what I would do whenever I started. And I remember the amount of frustration that I had, especially whenever you're learning and going back to it, even after seven days, it just meant that I had forgotten enough to be at a place where I was just a tiny step back from where I'd left off. Mm -hmm. And obviously with, well, maybe obviously, but for anyone who's had a practice, it's repetition and it's consistency in that repetition to be able to gain the skill to do the thing. I think, yeah, generally timing, that dogged determination to do the thing was very paramount to why I'm still doing it now. I actually found a bowl. I went to my friend um, Nicholas last night and found a bowl that I'd given her and it was my second ever bowl and I'd forgotten that I gave it to her. And (laughs) we were watching the programme and her son, Lokes, went out to the kitchen and was rustling around and came back and was like, look, look, look what you've got. And I was like, oh, it's like a little bit. Like, I've only got one bowl from that time. That was like my very first bowl. So for this to just appear was really quite magic. And there's so many marks of where I've just like <laughs> dug in and not fixed it or not known. And that, I think that's absolute testament to Matty Whitaker's teaching is that he. I I would always, not always, but I would 
No, definitely. I'd want him to do it. <laughs> I'd just be like, can you just come and like this really, really difficult part that I'm really not wanting to do? Could you just do it for me? And he'd come over and he'd show me how to do it. And then he'd start another pass, which is when you go from um, the centre closest to you on your right hand side and take the chisel and just do a continuous sweep the way the whole way around the bowl and usually from the start you start at the back to the rim and the outside of the bowl is where you can shape the most and add quite a bit of character so he would make this beautiful crisp clean pass from the bottom of the bowl the whole way to the rim and then start another one and put a shoulder in and be like, I was like, oh, but you've just, you've just done that. And he was like, yeah, but it's your bowl. <laughs> <laughs> so I would have to like do the next pass, take off the next t- sliver of wood. And I'd be there going, <laughs> rather than this beautiful ch- 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 that would come. <laughs> yes. The, the, I mean, digging in is upsetting, first of all, because you've just sort of, taking a massive chunk out of your bowl but again that like lovely rhythm is suddenly just disrupted and everything stops with like hard force and it's like oh no now i've got to start again exactly it's really really frustrating and (laughs) (laughs) that's what i was most frustrated when i started and to be perfectly honest it's one of the reasons that i do use a pole lathe rather than a powered lathe is Mm. that my foot is the force and I know that that's going to stop if I mess up the angle of the blade or of the tool if I did that on something that was revolving at a thousand like revolutions per however long it's not going to do that it's just going to catch and then either jam or flick up in my face or I don't know it's going to do like and that's where the kind of like catastrophization in my brain just like doesn't suit powered tools as well mm-hmm. now that i've used them more and got more confident i would be okay however i was hugely cautious and it held me back from using powered tools for a hot minute so have you have you had a go on a power lathe now yeah yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Of course I have. Um. <laughs> I'm sorry to ask, ask questions below your standard. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I think, to be honest, if I hadn't used it by now and I'd been turning for this long, like powered lathes, I've used a few times. <laughs> um, couple bowls, and then I was fortunate enough, Timmy Thompson who is the husband of Ruth Thompson that I did my um, traineeship with, definitely just took me under his wing and just went, I've got a workshop for power tools and I understand you're overtly cautious. Let's make this as simple as safe as possible for you to use as many as possible. And that for me was exactly what I needed. Someone to just be like, okay, yes, they are dangerous. However, this is how you use them and this is the PPE you can wear. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the, the traineeship, what was what was that? The traineeship was a six-month traineeship through Access to Work with Ruth Thompson, who is the um, person behind Sylvan Skills, 
she's a willow weaver sculptor and um coppicer and I accessed that through access to work after I received my dyslexia and dyspraxia diagnosis okay I actually like applied for it it went out on Facebook and I applied for it a couple of years before and Mm. she was like it's through the government access to work scheme unless you have a diagnosed disability you're not able to access the scheme and I was good you're like hold my beer I'm gonna go get one (laughs) (laughs) not even with the intention you know it all came around quite differently um and there was so yeah anyway I went and got the diagnosis in some other convoluted story and then came back and went to Ruth's open day in Chockwell which is just up the hill from where I was living Mm-hmm. and where in the world is that um it's in the derwent valley in the northeast Aha. half an hour southwest of newcastle yep i can picture that great and will a guy who runs atypical solutions cic um put on the events with ruth as an open willow weaving event a series in a garden in chopwell so I went to it, I saw Will, I was chatting away to him, and he was like, Shannon, this is Ruth. And Ruth turned around and went, you applied for my traineeship, and you couldn't get onto it. And I was like, well, I can now. <laughs> and she was like, great, come talk to me at the end. We'll go up and talk to um, my uh, support third party. This is me, consultant, and... It just went from there. Nice. Yeah. So I think maybe maybe we should step back a little bit. Because I know that you trained as an architect. Yes, I did. Not with um, a capital A, though. An architect. Yeah, that's the one. Architect. <laughs> so... So you did your part one training? Yes, that's correct. I did my part one undergrad BSc on in uh, Queen's University, Belfast. Right. And like, why did you want to be an architect? It was a running joke in my family. I opened the syllabus and got as far as A. <laughs> <laughs> yeah dyslexic yeah 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 sure (laughs) no one knew it then no one knew it then the signs were there (laughs) they were there all along jeffrey i've spent a whole 12 months on picking that but um (laughs) um the architecture thing to be perfectly honest there's a lot of other reasons as well um bloke I was with at the time suggested it because I had an interest in construction through my dad's work and my granddad's work I had a flair for art in that I really enjoyed drawing um however I didn't continue art at a level as there was a careers advice at some point down the line from someone who said you're never going to go anywhere if you do an a-level art you're never going to do anything until you get into a Russell group. So you're going to have to do English Lit, Maths, Chemistry and Biology rather than the PE, Art, Geography and Biology that you want to do. And 
that kind of would have, should have, would have, could have <laughs> set me up in architecture a little bit better if I had have done the art. Because first of all, it's a lot of drawing based. And second of all, it's a project based subject. So with all the other subjects that I did, it was mainly repetition and retaining information, which I found really difficult anyway, ADHD and autism, hello. But um, when it comes to that kind of project-based work, I felt really out of my depth the whole way through. When you got to architecture school? When I got to architecture school, Mm -hmm. I just didn't understand how to structure my work, basically. It was very, as most degrees, it's very self-led. And I love self-led learning, don't get me wrong. I just didn't know how to structure anything that I was doing. Mm -hmm. So I had all these amazing ideas, what I thought were amazing at the time. And some of my tutors vibed with a lot. And it was that continual frustration of, if you could just get that down on paper, that would be amazing. Yeah. And I'd be like, yeah, of course it would. But as soon as I start drawing a line, the idea changes. (laughs) So it's like, why would I draw it down now when I just want to like play in my little like visualization, 3D axonometric, chuck it around kind of brain that I've got. Your internal brain sketch up. Oh, mate. (laughs) Honestly. (laughs) I made some so easy to Sketchup drag some points models. around there. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Honestly, and like I can zoom in, I can zoom in and out, and I can like put in different details and all that kind of stuff. And then I would just get like hyper fixed on materiality. And one thing I loved was the materiality, which like speaks volumes as to what I'm doing now. And I remember going down into the PhD students' lab. I found out that they were like literally two floors down in a little corridor and I just spent like a few days down there and I was saying to the rest of my cohort like you should really come down and see what these guys are doing like it's amazing they're making clay polymer concrete they're making clay that you can like so they're all like little blocks they gave me these little cube blocks to use for my final presentation because I was finding it really difficult to design this massive round earth wall in the middle of Armagh and I knew it was too wet to do the size of wall that I wanted and this retaining wall in this lifelong learning centre would you believe was my final project and I went down to these guys and they had this clay polymer concrete that reduced the admissions of carbon capture because of the um, because of the use of aggregate and was an absolutely delicious colour that I just thought, yes, that's the aesthetic that I want from the round earth. It's kind of leaning towards the sustainability aspect that I was wanting in my design. And then I brought up an extra couple of samples and one of them, this little cube, where the rest you would pick up and be quite careful to handle. This cube you could just chuck up and down because it was so light because of the aggregate being polystyrene oh I know isn't it and then I don't know how I feel about that but I know I know <laughs> <laughs> lots of ethical questions in that that we could do a whole dissertation on however you could chuck this little cube and it was like really fun to play with um not to cut you off too much but no, 
You're, you're, you're the one that's talking, not me. I've just come back in the room. I've been in my head for the whole time so far. <laughs> but, I, well, let's put you back in your head. Um, okay, cool. I mean, you mentioned sort of sustainability. Was that a sort of big part of what you were trying to do in your sort of training? Yeah, massively. Everything, all the time. Uh, was that uh, supported? To be perfectly honest, we had a module called sustainability environment or environment and sustainability that's what it was so every week we would sit down in a room cohort of like 45 and we would talk about sustainability and climate crisis and all this kind of stuff and then in design and technology people would be designing these megalithic starchitect concrete buildings and I'd be sitting there going, what? I don't get You're this. You're not in the same uh, yeah, yeah. that I was in? I, I don't really get this. Like, And I was like designing with Strawwell Build and I was designing with, which I didn't really like, again, I think held back with my real inability for most internet searching because I just can't find the right words to find things or be concentrated enough to go down too many rabbit holes. I can now, but at that time, was still finding it difficult. And when, for example, I'd be in a crit and there was a birthing centre someone had designed with these like massive metal spikes out the front of it. And I was like, okay, I get the, I get this, right? It's like sculptural. And for a crit, anyone that doesn't know, it's kind of like a presentation. You stand up in front of a room of people with drawings, A1, A0 drawings that you'd put your heart and soul into. And then everyone else would have a moment to share their opinion on it. Oof. <laughs> that sounds harsh. Sounds like Dragon's this, Den, but with people less... Um, less willing diplomatic. to <laughs> accept your ideas. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's basically there to challenge you. That's why it's called a crit, a critique. Critique uh-huh. of your work. Yes. And usually at the final critique, you would have esteemed architects come and look at your work. Great. Um, And we were sitting in this crit in this birthing centre with the spires. And I sat at the back of most crits and I engaged a little bit. I had a hard time in uni kind of engaging with people. And I just kind of shouted out, why aren't they trees? (laughs) (laughs) And the whole room looked back at me and someone asked the question, why would they be trees? And I posed the idea that, well, you'd know what time of year that you'd be giving birth because of if the leaves were on the trees, especially if they were deciduous. And then, oh, that beautiful thing of being held by nature and da 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 And they kind of went, yeah. Turned around and went, so these spikes. And I was like, no! trees <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Do, do, do you think it's sort of like to let nature do the work sort of means that you're not architecting like you have to Ooh. design a thing to it's sort of ego i guess uh that's a thing we've talked about on this podcast before like that sort of look at me i've designed a thing and like a tree you didn't design it it's already there it's existed for eons before you yeah the whole aspect of the profession is that it's prestigious 
with that comes a lot of tradition and a lot of handed down ethos, in my opinion, which is difficult to break away from. Like I've listened mm. to guys like guys like from Grain Architecture and different places that are doing the work that I would have wanted to be doing. However, for me to continue, I couldn't I don't think I could have. It would just mean going somewhere and drawing lines for a few years to be even be able to have a voice in the conversation. Mm-hmm. And that kind of um what's the word I'm looking for? It's like environment. I wasn't necessarily comfortable in that environment. Comfortable enough to stick around at least. Yeah. And that the last nail in the coffin for me was an architect that bought my final bought a image and a drawing from me that I was pretty chuffed about to be honest I really enjoyed making it because I had printed onto an A1 tracing paper and then underlaid it with a section mm. so mm. <laughs> I liked layers the whole thing about layers scratched my brain a lot and mm-hmm. having this drawing being bought by one of the top architects in Belfast at the time. Um, I was absolutely chuffed to bits about and met him over a coffee, chatted about how I was going to travel in, to Bulgaria and how they were doing a project there. And then a few weeks later, I saw him in the pub and I was saying how um, I found it really difficult that people were like the whole kind of, this is the word that I'm still looking for. The whole premise of the community in architecture at that time was that it was all competitive and all really, you had to fight to get your voice heard. You had to fight to have your opinions made serious and all that kind of stuff. And I was just a bit like, ugh. Culture. Is that the word? That's the word! Yes! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well done you thank you <laughs> we got there so, you described culture and then i just uh <laughs> put the word that's what i was looking for <laughs> um so the culture around what people were doing at that time anyway and the fact that this person is such an interest in what i was doing to buy my work prob- like completely undervalued may I add, without any suggestion on price point from them and all that kind of guidance was just lost. And saw them in a pub a few weeks later and said, oh, this culture of competitiveness and you had to do so much research to find any kind of practice, which was really like such an accessibility barrier to me at that time, Mm. that I was like, okay, I've had this idea (laughs) and was always having these ideas and if we could put it together in an app that it was like architect specific and architect practices could be matched up with people wanting to do their part one part two placements people wanting to do their part three placements and because for how many placements there were there was such a limited number of people that could do them and then also to find them and to have them out advertised was nigh on impossible because a lot of it was networking and word of mouth so for someone that's just completely not from that world it was hardly like accessible so I gave this idea to this person and basically turned around and went 
oh, you kids destroyed everything and rah, 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 rah. And I was just like, ah, way and okay, I'm gone now. I'm out. I'm out. Tap. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> well done, you. That's that's me done. <laughs> yeah. Great architects crushing dreams. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe if I had a bit more strength, I would have stayed and all that kind of stuff. However, must like a lot of things were compounding for me at that time. So it was just not something that I wanted to continue with. And did you know that you wanted to be more hands-on at that point? Or is that something you found later on? Yeah, I think at that point I was doggedly determined to go travelling. I wanted to take a gap year, however, stayed to do the education to the end of higher to be able to just get it done. And realistically, I just wanted to travel and all I wanted to travel to were eco villages. That was the rabbit hole that I really went down in whenever I studied architecture was looking at the eco village um, network and We'll be back after a quick break. If you're looking for all things BMX racing, you found the right podcast. Here at Lane 8 BMX Podcast, I'll speak to the local racer, the national racer, and even the Olympic level racer. I'm talking kids to the weekend warriors and much more. So get comfortable, turn up the volume, and remember to snap on green. Did you do that travel? Yeah. Um, Tell me about that. <laughs> um, so after finishing, saved up a bit and then started off in Croatia and stayed at an olive farm. First of all, mm. I should say that a lot of these things were accessed through HelpX. Which is like the woofing... Uh, help exchange thing yeah so help x with the letter x.net is pretty much a blanket subscription to all countries whereas woofing you have to sign up per country uh do you i've only ever done it in canada so i think i've never seen yeah yes where did separation. you do it in canada hmm. uh just across bc it cool. totally changed my life. I ended up in this place called Dunster, uh, just outside of Jasper, and town of town of two hundred people, uh, all of them growing their own food, building strawberry houses, being proper like community. You know, have work days where they'd all go and like fix up someone's broken greenhouse or something like that. And that place completely diverted me from like my London. At that point, I was like a graphic designer who was having a year out. I went there and went, wait a minute, this isn't a year out. This is my life now. And that was that was me off on a different different tangent, booked up to go learn natural building from there. Amazing. How cool. That's exactly what I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, Hang on, that's what you wanted from your trip or that was what you wanted? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your... <laughs> That's exactly what I wanted. And I ended up um, through the HelpX going to like an olive farm, a goat farm, uh, different places that were advertised. And it's all for me when you got there, it was very much 
not the sense of community that you're talking about. It's more mm. projects that needed help from volunteers to be able to sustain themselves. And for a lot of that experience, I was glad to be there and I was glad to expand my mind, how I wanted to involve my thoughts into gaining perspective from different parts of the world and speaking to 20 different people from 20 different places around a dinner table definitely does that. Mm. And um, yeah, so that kind of like alternative living to what is current norm of folks going around as a work party to do off each other's strawberry houses. What? <laughs> That's exactly where I wanted to place myself and I didn't necessarily get there. However, I did enjoy the experience that I had. And I guess it's sort of most of the work for the HelpX is um, you know, hands-on, isn't it? It's whether you're sort of picking apples or fixing fences or digging gardens or... Oh, yeah, exactly. It's... Um... So we were like pulling pellin, which is basically bracken at the olive farm for days in the heat. And we arrived. um, And this is kind of like a lot of this connecting to nature that I talk about isn't inherent to me because a lot of it is learnt. And we arrived in this olive farm just before the harvesting season. So we got one day of harvesting olives, which is the exciting thing where everyone comes and harvests the olives together. Community. Community. And we were there for like <laughs> three weeks pulling bracken <laughs> another day of it. <laughs> so close. <laughs> so, so close. And it's just that kind of like skewed off season thing um, that happened a bit. And we ended up like... Um, last minute getting into a ski season never put my foot in like a pair of boots before and learned on the job and would never have been able to learn to ski if I hadn't been working there da 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 so yeah grateful for the experience and that I'm gonna just go jump back to the connection to nature thing it's like I remember asking Matty like what I see now is like super simple questions of like, how do you identify a tree in the winter? <laughs> and like, it's a good question. It's a really good question for someone that doesn't know. <laughs> and like, I remember that summer being the first summer that I noticed the order in which the flowers come out. What? Like I'm currently waiting for the snowdrops. Yeah. And each year I'm meeting more plants and I'm meeting more trees and probably going to give them a hug at some point because that electromagnetic biochemical reaction that you have to biophilia. Buzzword. I know. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Had to get it in somewhere. (laughs) Good work getting it in before I did. Thanks. (laughs) All of that experience has kind of brought me to where I am and yeah so we, we've sort of gone on a, a wild back loop we've done if we if we were in a film we'd have done the, uh, the flashback <laughs> now uh, <laughs> and then we'll come back to the present and then we'll do a, a flash forward put two, D- two ADHD brains in a room see what happens 
<laughs> I think we're doing very well. <laughs> From your architect training to where you are now, is there anything that's actually been really useful that you studied or like skills you picked up back in the, the training of architecture that you now use today? Like I have really random things. I did product design and suddenly like, I go back to a module on fluid mechanics and dynamics that I got a fail condone, you know, the lowest possible pass mark. <laughs> uh, and then I find myself using the theories of that quite a lot in my work now. And I go, like, oh, well, that's surprisingly useful. There's a lot of things that I use day to day that I learned while I was studying architecture, no doubt. Mm-hmm. And that essence of project management, I learned that a hard way and in an intensive environment. However, I still use it in all the work that I've done thus far, um, mm-hmm. since anyway. And then that idea of design. Oh my gosh. The, the theory of design is such a like it's yeah the theory of design process is yeah i don't know how to explore it for someone who hasn't experienced it what other ways there's probably 20 million thousand other ways to be honest that i haven't Mm. necessarily registered because it's just so assimilated in how i think about things i mean i imagine an eye for detail is um yeah I mean, it's something I've particularly noticed about your work is, oh, the details, the the finish on your bowls is outrageous. Oh, uh, I really appreciate <laughs> that. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. When I yeah, when I saw you uh, turning bowls at Northern Bowl, uh, I couldn't believe because like for anyone that doesn't turn bowls. The sort of slower you can move the tool, the smaller the ridges are between the turns, therefore the smoother it is. And I didn't I didn't know that you could move so slowly, or like one could move so slowly until I saw you turning. So jeez, that is precision, tiny, tiny detail wonderfulness. Slightly obsessive. <laughs> yeah, but uh, maybe maybe that's another lens. <laughs> I think up until now, that's how I had viewed it. So I really appreciate the input. Um, My lecturer would absolutely be pulling his air out right now for the list of transferable skills that they gave us on a piece of paper. (laughs) I just can't remember any of them. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. I mean, it's, it's hard to sort of come up with that on the fly because, as you say, it is it's become your personality who you are to sort of pinpoint when you learnt it and then say, ah, yes, I do use that now is, is maybe a difficult thing. Obviously like in the next week you'll be going, Oh yeah, that and that. Oh, for the next month, mate, I'll be replaying this. (laughs) And I'll just be like, Oh, I could have answered this in this way. However, what is like alive in me and what is burning is that since studying architecture, I've also studied permaculture which overlaps a lot because there's a lot of structured learning um, in terms of the design process. And for me, permaculture filled in a lot of gaps that architecture had left in terms of ethics, in terms of observation. 
I was taking a 16 week project and observing the site and going back to it for four or five weeks. That part of the process, which I think was like analysis and evaluation or like site research was given maybe like a week or two out of the 16. And I was just, that's what knocked me back a lot in my drawing actually, was that I was just taking a lot of time to just go and be there and understand what it meant and meet the people that were around it. And realistically, as a student, <laughs> like if you had a two, three year project, yeah, go for it. But as a student, it's not necessary. And that's what they were trying to say was like, yes, you get the idea of that's what you need to do. But a lot of people didn't even think about doing that either. That sensitivity to context and that sensitivity to sight wasn't necessarily something that a lot of people adopted into their practice or into their thinking. So whenever I think about the design aspect in terms of observation, that's a big part in permaculture. And I think that's where I'm kind of a lot of things that I'm learning is melded and overlapped into that as to where I think about things now. Yeah, I think my top tip for anyone is go and do a permaculture course because just, I, I mean, just looking at nature's systems and then working out how you can either fit into them or sort of use that cycle in something else you're doing. Brilliant. So if you can just sort of observe and, and understand that, you'd save yourself a whole lot of work <laughs> elsewhere. Yeah. And probably Definitely. cause a lot less damage. Thinking holistically and with an ecological point of view and looking at whole systems thinking, that's my jam. Mm-hmm. And I think that for a lot of folk, like you're saying, like if you just went and did a permaculture course, even if it was just an intro course, it's a doorway into a whole realm of people practicing ecology, botany, um, conservation all that kind of space that you wouldn't necessarily be privy to otherwise and community i think that's one of the big massive like involving community in every aspect of that yeah uh it's it's sort of not a bolt on it is part of it is yeah core it's ingrained in its ethics it's as you say it's a core so the, the three core ethos or ethics of permaculture is people care earth care and fair shares so that element of ethics being integral to every decision-making process really appeals to me. Right there with you. Yes! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, okay, so well, let's... Um, I'm going to pull you back now to craft again because we're talking about holistic. You, uh, you were nearly on the podcast a few months ago because of your coppice apprenticeship um so you see what i'm doing here that's really clever that's really clever (laughs) (laughs) um so why why did you want to go i mean i think i've sort of answered the question for you but how did learning to coppice fit into your your sort of craft and life why why was it important i have always been interested in woodlands mainly because my mum would walk us through um, woods every day with the dogs. I remember her pushing a pram up a massive hill in, ex- in Devon, next more Holiday Hill. And we used to have a tea that tree that we would make tea from and everything at the end of the walk. So 
that connection to trees has been quite an integral part of like just my experience of the world. So coming into wanting to do woodland management and that thing of like, I think I was listening to Georgie talk about it and tools being taken out of your hands and accessing the world of forestry as a woman is really, really challenging because of how many barriers there are. Even just doing chainsaw tickets, man, like that thing of like being scared of a chainsaw because it's big and loud and makes noise and and is perfectly capable of cutting your arm off yeah 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 i understand (laughs) the yeah the the cautious optimism of just making sure that you don't kick it back into your face is like always there however i've kind of come from cautious optimism (laughs) 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 yep yeah Um, and I'd come from a background of like, I've been a community gardener for five or six years. I've been using hedge trimmers and quite ad hocly using hedge trimmers, brush cutters and strimmers really like really often, mm-hmm. pretty much every day. <laughs> so working with machinery isn't something that I'm unfamiliar with and looking after machinery, like lawnmowers or whatever, I'm really comfortable with. So chainsaw would actually be like a natural progression for me. However, there was that mental kind of like barrier to, oh, I I can't hold it all the time. I'm not big and strong. It's like, it's all absolute rubbish. You could swear. (laughs) Bullshit. It's all absolute bullshit. (laughs) Um, Because like I've just been on my small tree felling course literally finished yesterday and I felt so comfortable and was just being left to fell this birch tree by the end of three days whereas before I wouldn't have even imagined that I could do that and it's all like things that really like appeal to me in terms of a methodical process that you can just go through check a list and go right cutting a gob if I'm doing a boring cut I'm cutting it out at this level I can go around and check it come back go up to my hinge go back 20 and it's all in percentages so leave 20% leave 25% leave 10% and then just cut it down and then bing bang bosh the tree and then it comes down quite gently anyway so if I haven't ranted yet women (laughs) you are more than capable don't listen to them (laughs) and I think it's that another cultural thing of must be quiet and be seen and that kind of like type thing it's just like I really want to champion that so I don't know what your question was again because I've gone on a rant. What was it? <laughs> uh, just how did coppicing fit into your holistic <laughs> view of craft? <laughs> but I like where we've gone. No, I'm, I'm, we're, we're following this. <laughs> coppicing fits in craft because I like materiality. <laughs> My love of heritage craft completely joins itself onto coppicing no, no don't 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 follow my question let's <laughs> let's keep going with the the patriarchal bullshit um, 
anyway, I really didn't want to have that rant. I'd almost said to myself. No, no, it's good. I'm, I'm glad. Uh, it means that it was just wanting to get out. I know. <laughs> Do you think um, coppicing is more gender balanced than uh, conventional forestry? Yes. Why do you think that is? I work in the northeast and one of the only in rotation coppices, hazel coppices. And I work with a woman over 60. And she is the only full time coppicer in the northeast. The reason that I knew the moment that I decided <laughs> that I could wield a chainsaw was when. I was working in this coppice on a work day with the Association of Polo Turners and Greenwood Workers. We meet once a month. It was in this coppice this time. And I saw another woman over a certain age swinging a chainsaw up over her head. And I was like, not the safest, but you can do it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't recommend it, but... <laughs> yeah, but there's this, this other small petite woman just like using a tool oh it's a tool it does a thing it does it has a purpose and it's really useful when you're working with trees because they are just massive plants i see coppicing kind of like the natural building of forestry oh in that it's sort of like the the little offshoot where sustainability is at the core uh It's got this wonderful like gender equality or more gender equality. I don't know if it's fully not fully like fifty fifty. Yeah. Sorry, you you go on. <laughs> I've lost I've run out of words. That's fine. I've just can I've been able to expend my excitement through my rant and now I can focus. So yeah. um whenever you look at the coppice industry, I was down at the National Coppice Federation. Um, AGM and gathering in October of last year Mm. and for me the community again community underlying pattern through all of these different cultures that we engage with is so beautiful in the essence that it's much more accepting and less prescriptive and much more willing to invite people into it because coppicing for a long time was a dying craft and it's linked to like the apprenticeship that I'm doing Bill Hogarth Memorial Apprenticeship Trust Bill Hogarth was regarded as the last coppicer in the northwest and he could bring out 90 products a day from a coppice we're lucky if we could bring out three at the minute and that in inherent multi-generational heritage knowledge is being retained by the people that are continuing the practice even though there is a trope that you're not ever going to earn any money from it however I believe that moving forward and contemporizing heritage craft heritage practices ancient woodland management practices that are to the scale of hand This is the thing, you can go in with a bill hook, which is a really fun tool to use, and strip down a rod and make a fence out of it, or make multi, multi different things 
that will fit into contemporary markets today. So that's kind of why I wanted to get into it was because I've kind of come into this place from five years of doing lots of different hobbies in Greenwood world craft and connecting with communities around permaculture, Greenwood, heritage craft, coppicing and making this a career. I need that support to be able to do that. So for coppicing in general, being more gender balanced, I guess, is more inherent that it's more accepting of people coming into it. Whereas in forestry, for example, you're looking at large places like Kielder up the road from me, which is a plantation based operation. And there's trucks and trucks and trucks of single species coming past Murray Village every day going down to big factories and it's big operations so you've got like I couldn't do it well I could do it but I probably like really struggle because you need to have that physical fitness you need to have that want to do it and also it's such a large operation and they're such large trees that a lot of it isn't hand cutting it's actually machinery based so then it goes into a different realm of inaccessible kind of bias of having machinery put into place and all this kind of stuff and that kind of culture of like lads 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 can be seen quite a lot like not to speak out of term I've been into those environments and there's a definite shy away from topics of conversation that would have naturally occurred because I'm there I mean, the, yes, the, the building site uh, sort of analogy holds up quite, or parallels hold up quite quite well there, don't they? Definitely. And I'm comfortable putting myself in those situations because I've been doing it from the age of 10. My dad's been taking me on building sites from that age. So it's, for me, to champion that change, I don't know where I'm going with it, but I'd like to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, good. um so why um why did you want to do the apprenticeship we should say if anyone doesn't know what the apprenticeship is they should go back and listen to three episodes yes uh because you entered the the world pretty strongly for a week in august didn't you i I did i submerged myself in it and i bloody loved it (laughs) (laughs) brilliant it's a wonderful world really is full of very very excellent people doing doing wonderful things things. (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna expand my vocabulary this year (laughs) i think stick with it it works yeah yeah good some someone's just scored a hit on the bingo chart i know right Um, i want to hit them all what's the rest of them (laughs) i I think I have to go, nice. Ah, yay! Bingo, I think I've probably already done that one. <laughs> cool. Um, so, yes, why why did you want to do the, the apprenticeship? So, while I was doing the traineeship the year before, um, I met a bloke called Bill Oakes, and he had just become a trustee of the charity, and him and his wife, Jen, came and would work in the coppice with me and Ruth. Um, and he was pretty, I'm going to be a bit sad now. <laughs> he was pretty integral um, to me 
doing it because he basically went to them and went, this, this girl's going to do it anyway. Shall we do it with her? <laughs> and um, he was going to be my sponsor. Unfortunately, he passed away during the summer. And I am now sponsored by wonderful bloke called Mark Shipley, who stepped up and is doing it in honour of him. And um, I'm working with Livingwoods North ECIC. So, yeah, I'm pretty, as you can tell, a bit sad that I feel a lot of loss for the opportunity to learn from him. He was the sponsor for Tim Davies, who is the only other bloke that has done the apprenticeship in the Northeast. And, um, yeah, that's how I started anyway. So what are you doing in your apprenticeship? How does it look? Because you're you've only just started, really, haven't you? Started on the twelfth of September, twenty twenty two, and since the start of my apprenticeship, I have also been fulfilling other kind of requirements from other projects. So, mm-hmm. what I was doing, I've got like a weekly, hourly quota to kind of make up, and as I was already turning quite a lot, and with, through other self-employed work. I've been able to fulfill that however it's kind of yeah it's progressing so I reached out to the Cumbria a lot and I've had a day the Cumbria coppices yeah um so the coppice co-op are the Cumbria lot and Twiggy who's the chair of the charity and they've invited me over to do some work with them so I went out and did a couple of days um, one with the retort as well. That's the first time that they had nice. taken it out with um, another project that they were working with a team of volunteers. So we set up lit the retort, and hopefully the project that I'm working with rekindle through the kick in the northeast to rekindle small woodland management and the community around that will be getting an exit retort at some point. So lots of charcoal making, coppicing, and I've been working with Ruth again in the coppice that she has to produce sticks for, or rods I should call them, for the Cranog Centre up in Scotland, for example. Oh yeah, so, oh, nice. Yeah, so they're reconstructing this massive Cranog building, only 20,000 rods, which is pretty unheard of. So it's landed just at the right time for me to start my apprenticeship. So the the apprenticeship is three years and yes. I know sort of third year is kind of you having your own business and mm. developing that. Have you got any ideas where that's going to go yet? No, because I've done it backwards. Oh. <laughs> as, as with most things, I've kind of got a bit too excited and just did the thing and then started the thing. So yeah. most people come into the apprenticeship with the idea that they're going to come in, usually don't have a huge amount of experience or have an idea and a knowledge about it, come in and then get guided through this three-year process of exploring craft. And I've kind of gone down a massive rabbit hole over the past five years into green woodwork, already specialised in bowl turning, basket weaving and hazel hurdle making through the traineeship and sculpture and different things like that. So 
I would love to do as many things as possible. And if I wasn't going to do this, I would have gone over to do the wood, water, weave that's starting with Lorna Singleton over in Cumbria because I was like, spelt basketry. It's Mm. working with materials that I want to work with. It's doing baskets. Oh my gosh, it just marries all the world. Hard as nails baskets as well. Hard as nails. They'll last for a long time. (laughs) And it's really uh, none of that soft willow nonsense. (laughs) (laughs) Willow's not that soft, mate. Like my fingers still hurt after willow. Never mind. No, (laughs) compared to oak. Compared to oak, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, and yeah, so all of that, I would love to. Like, I've still got the room to explore it. Just, however, I feel like I've started off quite saturated in what I'm doing could just coming off the show and all that kind of stuff I've started a small business in my bowls and turning and available um making workshops available to people who want to turn and I think I just need to focus on that for at least a year and just ride this wave to be able to find a bit of focus has been quite hard for me so now that I've got it, I'm just going to use it. Nice. Thanks. I, we've, we've, na- nice. There we go. There you go. <laughs> Thank there you. There go. <laughs> Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. brilliant thank you so much to shannon if you've enjoyed that head straight on into episode 95 where shannon is talking more about make it up market and a whole load more joyful chat if you have enjoyed this episode then please please share it makes such a big difference to how many people get to listen to this and if you want to support the podcast head to patreon.com forward slash building sustainability As always, there is a whole list of links to uh, topics we've talked about, uh, makers, organizations. There's quite a few podcast links to uh, some people that we've talked about, like, for example, Lorna Singleton, who runs the Woodwater Weave course that uh, Shannon spoke about. Also, the the Coppice Co-op episode gets a, a mention. 
So if you haven't heard those already, then they should be the ones that you listen to next. All right, skip straight on to the next episode. See you, bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.